Something North Texans are having to get used to is waking up to storm damage that has to be cleaned up. The storms blew down a house frame in White Settlement, knocked down, and you can see the house frame there, knocked down several trees. You saw that woman cleaning up and even knocked down uh, this little playhouse here and took it down someone's driveway. Our Larry Collins is live in Fort Worth this morning where the storms even damaged a church office building. Larry, what can you tell us? Hey, Laura, good morning. You know, by the light of day, we're getting a better look at some of this damage at Hallmark Baptist Church in Fort Worth. You can see right through the wall up to the ceiling. Now, I want to give you a closer look. This is what it looked like when our crews arrived overnight. That storm really took a, 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 an aim at that church, and it was a bullseye on that church's office facilities. The side of the building simply peeled away, left hanging from the top of the building, leaving a very large hole. The good news, there was very little water damage inside. No one was injured. This is just a taste of the damage from that strong storm. It will be a very busy day for neighbors and even a congregation. You see out here live right now, these guys are out here. But here's the thing, they're not cleaning up. They're actually headed out to a planned mission trip to Mexico. I had a chance to talk to the pastor. He tells me none of their equipment was damaged. None of the things they're bringing to that trip was damaged. In fact, there was very, very little damage at all. Most of the damage was simply to the roof. They said a little storm damage won't keep them from spreading the good news and heading down to Mexico. Amen. So, God is good? And all the time? Even when the building falls apart, right? God is still good. Aren't you glad that in the storms or in the calm of the storms, God is just as good as always. And, and sometimes, isn't it, isn't it a little easier for us naturally to trust God when everything is going good in life? Maybe a little more difficult to trust God when the storms of life hit. But I want to say thank you. If you drove around uh, already this morning, you saw that, that the wall is, we've already put the wall back up. Of course, the, the finished product is not there yet. But I want to say thank you to a few uh, people who worked really hard this week to get that done. Uh, that is Matt Witzel and uh, Chris Shallowitz and Caleb Shallowitz, uh, Matthew Wagner, my father-in-law, Robert Daniel, Randy Griffith, Brian Nutt. And then uh, Chad and Stephanie Morton helped us. And Kaysen and Campbell did a lot of the cleanups. So two of our young people, I appreciate them. Could you give them a hand for me this morning? Appreciate them coming up. So, uh, uh, this, you know, this church has uh, always risen to the occasion, hadn't they, over the years to do whatever God has called us to do. And, and on that light, I want to just make a real quick mention before we get on to our message this morning that uh, we have a great opportunity coming up this summer called Opportunity America. You know, our church goes on mission trips all the time. In fact, we have a group, as the news reporter mentioned, we have a group that are driving back from Mexico right now that are watching on Facebook Live. And uh, so they got to be a, a, a part of Vacation Bible School there in Mexico uh, to a group of orphan students. And, and I would encourage you, I shared a link I think that was this morning, of them baptizing five of those teenagers that have given their life to Christ. And so watch that video, celebrate them. But we also have a mission opportunity that's coming to our church. And so there's about 20 students from China who will be here for two weeks. And we need some more host homes. So if you're interested in hosting a home, hosting 
people in your home, then uh, let me know. And also Sarah Campbell will be out at the, the blue screen as you walk out today. But we need a few more homes to host those uh, kids. So turn in Amos chapter number four. Amos chapter four. I would encourage you to get your bulletin out. There's notes in your bulletin. Also, maybe you are on your phone or some device with the app. You can go to the YouVersion Bible app. And on our Bible app this morning, as always, we have our outline with the scripture on there. But this morning, also, we have that in Spanish for those of you who maybe uh, uh, struggle with the English version of that. The Spanish version is also there on the YouVersion Bible app. We started a new series last week called Not So Famous Amos. How many of you ate all of your cookies during service last week? How many of you ate them before service even started? Okay, how many of you saved them for dessert after church? Okay, yeah. These are the holier-than-thou people that are raising their hand right now. Okay. How many of you didn't even eat the cookies? Does anyone not like famous Amos cookies? We will escort you out as soon as... So Dave uh, started this series, Not So Famous Amos. Of course, that is why we give out the famous Amos cookies. Uh, but he was not so famous because... As, as uh, Dave pointed out last week, that he was like from a small nowhere town. How many of you grew up in a small nowhere town? Okay. I grew up in two small nowhere towns. But he was a nobody from nowhere. But God sent him on mission to tell people that God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. God is in control. Doesn't that sound a lot like our Real God series? Funny how that works, right? That God who said he was in the Old Testament, he's the same God today as he was yesterday and he will be tomorrow. He never changes. That's what Scripture said. The same yesterday, today, and what? Forever. How many of you said tomorrow? Okay, you'd be all right. And we think about not-so-famous Amos there's a great message just in that part of the story that a nobody from nowhere God sent on mission. That's, that's gonna, you're going to see that all throughout the Bible, that God sends nobodies from nowhere. Because here's the truth. God often uses just ordinary people to do extraordinary things because he wants to get the glory. You know, and so when we think about, ah, I'm not sure if I'm good enough, I'm not sure if I know enough, that's exactly who God wants to use. God doesn't want to use someone who thinks they have all the answers. The truth is, I don't even know all the questions. I definitely don't have all the answers. And God wants to use the nobodies from nowhere to spread the gospel, the good news, the message. So we closed last week's message with really these two points. And these two points are on your outline again this morning. And it's really the theme of the book of Amos. So Amos is known as a minor prophet. It's not minor because the message is not good. It's minor because it's a short book. It's a, a short prophecy. But here's really the sum, summarization of the book. Escape God's wrath by repenting and reveal God's glory by reflecting. All right, so I need to repent of my sins. And then as a, be a believer, a follower of Jesus, it's my responsibility now to be an image bearer of Christ. That when people look at me, they don't see me, they see the image of Christ. That, that I have grown in my faith, that I'm daily in the Word, I'm daily memorizing Scripture, I'm daily 
in the process, this big term, the sanctification, that I'm daily trying to become more like Christ so that when people look at my life, they see Christ in me. That's the goal. Now, when you think about the nation of Israel, the nation of Israel, God made a covenant with, and God made a covenant with them because God wanted all the world to know that he was a good God. And what he wanted out of this covenant relationship with Israel was he wanted them to follow in obedience his laws, and as they followed in obedience, he would bless them. And if they followed in obedience, and then he would bless them, then all the world would see that the God of the Israelites was the true living God. So when Israel fell to follow in obedience, therefore God, because of the covenant, chose not to bless them, then no longer were they revealing No longer were they fulfilling the purpose God intended for them, that they were to point people to the glory of God. It's the same thing for us. So then the application is very simple for us. As followers of Jesus Christ, if I'm supposed to reflect the image of Christ, I'm not walking in obedience, then I'm failing to fulfill the mission that God has for me. And so now I'm just a nobody from nowhere doing nothing. My goal is to follow in obedience so that God would be glorified. God would, people would see Christ in me. That's really the point that Amos came to tell the nation of Israel. All right, it was interesting. Did you, did you catch on that video? He said the storm targeted, like the church was a what? What was the word he used? Target, a bull's eye. Do you remember what Dave said last week in chapters one and two? He, he used the word the concentric circles of, I can't remember, he used the word criticism. But as Amos shows up on the scene, remember Amos started out with the nations that surrounded Judah and Israel and slowly kept coming in. And you know how it is. When, when mom and dad get on to your brother and sister for doing something. All right, kids, are you with me? Shake your head if you're listening still, okay? Aren't you feel so good when mom and dad get mad at your brother or sister and not at you? Especially if you're the one that did it, but you, you know, they're getting blamed for it. That never happened around me. So it's like everybody else is in trouble, and Israel's like, yeah, get them. Preach it, Amos. Then it gets a little closer. Yeah, preach it, Amos. And then it gets to the Judah, the southern kingdom. And I think there's probably a little tension, a little nerves in that. Preach it, Amos. And then, then the target. You see, God sent Amos to the nation of Israel not just to call out the sins of the people surrounding them. God sent Amos to the nation of Israel to point out their sin. And as we read the book of Amos and as we continue to study the book of Amos, here's what I want you to consider. Because it's really easy to sit in a church service and hear a message and think of someone else who needs to hear it. Because it's real easy to see other people's sin, isn't it? It's real easy to point out, man, they shouldn't be doing that, or she shouldn't be doing that, or I can't believe she's wearing that in church. I can't believe pastor has a t-shirt on standing on the stage. Isn't it easy to point everyone else's sins out? The most difficult thing for church people to do is to be honest with themselves. And so as we point to the sin of the nation of Israel, let's consider that maybe there's some application for us today. That there's sin individually in our own life we need to deal with. That maybe there's sin corporately as a church that we need to deal with. 
And maybe there's sin as a nation that we need to deal with. Because all those things apply to the nation of Israel. Maybe they apply to us. Let's look in Amos chapter 4, and we're going to take time to read uh, the entire chapter this morning. It says, Hear the word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria. We're going to get back to this, but he's not talking to cows, okay? Who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring wine, let us drink. There is a clue on who he's talking to. Verse 2, the Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, the day shall come upon you when we will take you away with fish hooks, your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead of her. You will cast into Hermon, says the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress. And Gogal, multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the freewill offering. For this, lo- for this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord. Verse 6. Also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld rain from you where there were still months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city and withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. You might underline that phrase. You're going to hear that a few times. Verse number 9, I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees. The locusts devoured them, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I sent you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with a sword along with the captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come upon into your nostrils, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God. You hear the somberness and the warning? Yet you have not returned to me. And because you have not returned to me, what does he say here? Prepare to meet your God. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what his thought is and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord of God, the Lord God of hosts is his name. Six times he makes this statement. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Six times Amos is saying, listen, there's warning, there's warning, there's warning, there's warning. You need to repent. Isn't that the message of the book of Amos? Avoid the wrath of God by what? Repenting. And because you're not avoiding the wrath of God, because you are not repenting, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Amos is giving this final plea. Amos, it's almost as you sense here that nation, the nation of Israel is dangerously close to what is the title of the message, the point of no return. The point of no return. It's kind of like, you know, uh, when your kids were littler and, and you would give them the three count, Right? How many of you give the three count? And I'm not going to ask that question. Don't, don't raise your hand. Because I'm going to tell you not to do that, all right? So I don't want to call you out in front of everybody. Here's what I would say. If you count to three, when you get to one or zero or whatever number you're getting to, something better happened. 
You ever counted three, two? I, I, this is just a pet peeve of mine. I hear parents counting at three, two, one, and they get to one, and guess what? I'm going to count again. Here's, this is my free parenting advice for you today. If you use this tool, three, two, one, something better happen at one. Okay? And, and I, I was very careful as a parent not to, to, to call out, like, you're going to be grounded for the next month in anger. Because if I say you're going to be grounded for the next month, what's got to happen now? And you guys know how, parents, you know how grounding is. You're the one being grounded. Right? Like, if your kid can't play video games for a month, you are, you're going to hate your life. Let's just be honest. You've, you have used that as a babysitting tool their entire life, and now you are the babysitter again. Are, are you tracking with me? You, you get this sense that when you, listen, when you get to one, there's a point of no return. That kid has stepped over the line, and there needs to be consequences for said action. And whatever the consequence you have set, you better fulfill. That's the point Israel is here. Listen, Amos is saying, warning, 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 warning. You, you have not heard, you have not listened, you have not repented, and I'm telling you, there is coming a day when you are going to meet your Lord. And if you meet him in this condition, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. So let's walk through this. I listened to a message this week on, uh, by Alistair Begg, and, and he kind of unpacked this, which I thought in a really good way. There was, there was uh, four divisions or four ways he broke this chapter up. And again, as I mentioned, as we walk through this, there's obviously Amos is directly speaking and, and preaching to the nation of Israel. But I believe there's a lot of application for us, whether that's individually, whether that's corporately as a church, or whether that's uh, for us as a nation. But I want you, as we walk through this this, this morning, to open up your, your idea that maybe, just maybe, you're at a crossroads like the nation of Israel. That maybe there's something in your life this morning that God has been over and over and over saying, repent. Stop living like this. Stop doing this. Stop watching this. Stop thinking this. Stop going to that place. Start doing this. Start doing this. Start a new habit. So let's, it's easy to sit here and say, wow, yep, nation of Israel, they messed up a lot. Let's, let's internalize this this morning. What is God wanting me to learn? So in the first couple of verses, so the first point here, again, uh, these are just kind of different uh, divisions of the chapter. The first one is woman, women of influence. All right, women of influence. So, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm just giving you some free advice. Men, this morning, this is not the way to start out if you're going to address a crowd of women. Okay? Look what he says in verse number one. We read it, but you guys didn't maybe catch it. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Is that a wise way to address a crowd of women, yes or no? Like, we're not going to say, hey, heifers, how you doing today? Good. <laughs> Glad you could be in church with us today. But how do we know he's talking to the women? Well, he says, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your, what is it? Your husbands. All right, before we get too mad, so women, before you shut 
shut down and don't listen. I don't like Amos. No wonder he's not so famous, right? Because he's calling all the women cows. Uh, that's, that's not really the context, the imagery, the, the understanding of the culture. I mean, think, for instance, in, in Song of Solomon, when, when the author was writing this love letter about his significant other, he uses these words. Again, man, I'm telling you, this is probably not what you want to write in your next uh, message to your wife or girlfriend. Your eyes are like two doves. I don't even know what that means. Does that sound good at all to you, anyone? Your hair is like a flock of goat. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if that's good. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep. I mean, it could mean they're white. I don't know. Straight, maybe. I don't know. Your neck is like the Tower of David. It doesn't seem to me that a tower is a good depiction of a woman's neck, but, you, you know, you can figure that out. Your temples are like two halves of a pomegranate. I can't even, I, how many of you know what a pomegranate looks like? It's pretty gnarly looking, isn't it? Like there's knots coming out of their temple. I don't know, I really don't know what he's trying to say. But all I'm saying is, let's not just take it for face value. He's not calling women a bunch of, thank you. He's not. Other than the fact that the cows of Bashan in this context were a sign of great wealth. They were a sign of, uh, one word that I, that I read to describe that would be the pampered pet. But it was a sign of wealth. It was a sign of significance. It was a sign of almost this understanding of royalty, of great power, great influence, great wealth. And so he's warning these women, not the influence or power for a woman is wrong, but what he's trying to explain, Amos is trying to explain, is that women of Israel, how are you using your influence? You know, they say that 80% of all car purchases now, the, the female has the final say in all car purchases. Probably best not to say anything, man. Just let it ride, right? Just let it ride. Okay? And that, that's, that, that tension, that silence, you feel like, oh. You know what that signifies? The influence of women. I don't, I'm going to have to say anything. I'm afraid. Just, you guys, you know what I'm saying? You, got, you don't even want to laugh right now. You're just like, uh. Yeah. If I, I, you know, we, we all are feeling the tension right now. I'm the one standing here. Thanks very much. So let's, let's think of the descriptions here. The women, the cows of Bashan, they were more worried about their appearance than how they acted. Again, you're going to find that all throughout Scripture, that God's more concerned about the inside than the outside. They were more concerned with the outside than the inside. They were more worried about status than about serving. So they were more interested in their appearance than how they acted. They were more interested in status than, how, than serving. They were greedy and not generous. And so Amos is saying, women, you have influence, you have power, 
And God is going to hold you accountable on how you use that. Now, we're all going to stand before God and give an account for how we used what he's blessed us with. Are we more interested in our appearance than the inside? Are we being greedy and not generous? So women of influence. Number two, people at play. People at play. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. Come to Bethel and transgress. You remember last week, uh, Dave, I thought, was going to start rapping for us about sin, sin, sin. You guys remember that? I wished I could see Danae's face. She was like covering, oh my gosh, my dad. But let me point out something. Verse 4. You come to Bethel, it's a place of worship, and you transgress, you sin. You come to Gogal and multiply transgressions, sin. You bring your offering, your sacrifice every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, sin. Three times, sin, sin, sin. It's similar to chapters 1 and 2. You remember the cadence over and over. Three times you've sinned and now four. Then he goes on, you sin, you sin, you sin, and then verse 5, you proclaim and announce the free will offerings. In other words, now you're, you're doing things the wrong way and you're bragging about it. And he goes on to say, these are the things you love to do. In other words, what, what Amos is trying to say, listen, you come to church and you do the sacrifices, even though the, the leavened bread as an offering of thanksgiving, the burnt offering of thanksgiving, they were not supposed to be using leavened bread, okay? There's where the sin is. So even in the way they did their worship, they were doing it the wrong way. They were coming to a place of worship. They were gathering just like the church gathers every Sunday Morning, and what Amos is saying, even though you go through all the church things, you sin and you sin and you sin. In other words, you're just plain church. And I wonder again, a message like this does no good for anyone who's listening if we don't try to internalize it ourselves and say, is that true of me? Why do I even show up for church every week? Am I doing it just to keep the appearance? And they stood and bragged about what they gave and what they did. And all the while they were simply plain church. You see, the nation of Israel no longer impacted their culture. Their culture impacted the nation of Israel. Does that bring any familiarity to you about the church as a whole in society today? The church has allowed culture to influence it. The church is no longer influencing culture. Why is that? Maybe it's because we continue to sin, 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 and God continues to Give warning and give warning and give warning, yet we don't hear the voice of the Lord. We don't respond. So women in power or influence, people at play. Number three, God at work. God at work. So verses 6 through 11, uh, over and over and over you're going to see this first person singular verb where God is speaking and God is saying, I did this. I'm, I've already read it. I'm not going to take time to read it all. I'm just going to give some highlights. Verse 6, he says, Also, God speaking, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. I did this to you. I, I brought this harm upon you, yet 
you have not returned to me. Verse 7, I also withheld rain. I made it rain in one city. I withheld rain from another city. Verse 8, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Verse 9, I bless you with blight and mildew. All these things that happen, locusts devoured all their fruit, yet you have not returned to me. Again, God says, I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men. I made the stench of your camps from all the men that I killed, yet you have not returned to me. I overthrew some of you, verse 11, yet you have not returned to me. So who is bringing all this calamity on the nation of Israel? It's really obvious. It's God bringing the calamity on the nation of Israel. Why would he do this? Does this seem like a gracious and merciful God in any way, shape, or form? It's a trick question. Because in reality, it's the most gracious and most merciful thing he could do for them. You see, for me to know the truth and not give you the truth because I think you might be offended by it is not love at all. Amen. You see, that's why one of the pillars of Hallmark, one of our core values, is that we want to be unapologetic in our preaching. Because the, here's the reality. There's a lot of churches, I believe, don't influence culture anymore because they no longer preach the Bible anymore. The reality is the Bible is very offensive. It, it's very offensive. How much more offensive could it be than to say, if you live like this and you don't call on Jesus, you're going to spend an eternity in a place called hell. Is that offensive? You can't live like you want to live and get where you want to go. You're going to have to turn from your sins, give your life to Christ, or you're going to spend an eternity in a place called hell paying for your sins. That is offensive. But if I don't give that information because I don't want to offend you, is that love at all? It's the opposite of love. And so God over and over brings these calamities on the nation of Israel as a sign of his mercy and his grace. He's withholding final judgment so that they would have an opportunity to respond to his grace and his mercy. And maybe today you're in that exact same situation. Maybe God has been prodding you. Maybe God has been speaking to you. You know you shouldn't be living like this. You know you shouldn't be doing this. You know you should be doing this. I mean, you, you fill in the blanks. I mean, I could think of a lot of things and give them to you. But you know what God is talking to you about. You know, if, if, you, really, if you really take some time to evaluate, you know. God is saying, I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, yet you have not returned to me. You see, 8th century Israel, they wanted religion without repentance. And I'm afraid that 21st century Christianity wants religion without repentance. And you know what religion without repentance is? It's rebellion. Religion without repentance is simply rebellion. You see, you can't have a relationship with Christ until you do what? Repent. The most gracious and merciful thing that God could do is send you a warning. And maybe today, that's why you're here. 
Maybe today God is saying, listen, you need to turn from your sin. You need to get out of this situation. You need to, to listen to God and repent and turn back to God and say, God, forgive me. Restore my relationship. But maybe there's some of you this morning that you've never even started a relationship with him. You see, the, the punishment for sin has always been death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, death came on all men. Sin came on all men. And the only way to overcome the punishment of sin is to repent of that sin and turn to Jesus. That's why Jesus came to the earth. That's why he died. That's why he hung on the cross. That's why he was placed in a tomb. And he miraculously was brought back to life so that I could have forgiveness of sins, so that you could have forgiveness of sins. Number four, the final call. Amos 4, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Prepare to meet your God. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind, who declares to man what, is, what his thought is and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. God is through Amos saying, listen, I am sovereign, I am God, I am holy, I am just, I am righteous, and you need to respond to me. You remember uh, a few months ago when we were in our series, The Real God, and we just kind of went through the characteristics of God, that he was just, that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he is good, that he is love. And when we talked about when God is sovereign, and, and Pastor Dave and I got up here on whatever you would call either the teeter-totter or seesaw, and we were illustrating the sovereignty of God, but yet the responsibility of man. And you see that all in this passage God is bringing the calamity, and then that's his sovereignty, but there's a responsibility of man to do what? Respond. Turn back to God. Six times calamity, God's sovereignty. Six times man's responsibility, they chose not to repent. Two statements. There is a meeting we must face. That's what Amos is saying, verse number 12. Every one of us in this room are going to stand before the Lord. There's a meeting we must face. But this warning tells us that there is mercy we can find. There's a meeting we must face, but there is mercy we can find. And mercy is found in repentance and giving your life to Jesus. So six times... Amos says, this is what God has done, yet you have not returned to the Lord. My question for you this morning, will you respond to God? You see, we can avoid God's wrath by repenting. We can reflect God's glory by becoming more like Christ. And some of us in the room this morning we are dangerously close to the point of no return. And the most merciful, gracious thing that I could tell you today is repent 
turn to God. Would you close your eyes for a moment this morning? The band's going to come up, and we're going to finish the service with a time of worship this morning. And maybe you're new here this morning. You're not really familiar with what's about to take place. So let me just explain it really quickly. We're going to stand in a moment. We're going to have a time of worship through music again. But it's also an opportunity for you to respond this morning. Maybe God spoke to you and revealed to you today that you've never given your life to him. And maybe you're not even sure what that means. There's going to be men and women down here at the front. And we're going to be standing here. We're going to be facing you. And if you would like to know what it means to repent and give your life to Jesus, we would love to share that with you this morning. But, but this morning, maybe you're in here and, and you've been here a long time and maybe God has revealed to you there's some things in your life that you need to take care of. There's some things in your life that you need to turn away from. There's some things in your life you need to repent of. Then I'm going to encourage you this morning when we stand, when we begin to worship through music, that you would come forward, that you would kneel at the altar and you would repent. Now, if you would like for us to pray with you, again, we'll be standing here. You can shake our hand. We'll be glad to pray with you. If you just want to talk to God alone at the altar, just come and kneel. Come sit on the front row. We're not going to interrupt you. You can spend some time with God this morning. But what we must realize is it's the goodness of God that always leads us to repentance. God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for Amos and his willingness to go to the big city to give a tough message, to call the nation of Israel to repentance. God, I pray this morning that as you have revealed sin in our life, that unlike the nation of Israel, that we would respond, that we would walk out the aisle this morning, walk down to the altar and confess. Maybe this morning what needs to happen is we need to walk across the room and we need to tell someone we're sorry and confess to them. Lord, I ask that you would give us the courage, the ability to respond. We love you and we thank you, Lord for the goodness of God, for the opportunity this morning to repent. Would you stand with me this morning as we sing this wonderful song about the mercy of God? Respond. Don't just sit there. Don't be like the nation of Israel. Time and time again, you hear the message, you don't respond. Respond today.